BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to season four of The Females, a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season, we're exploring the theme of courage, from the traditional definition to the new and unexpected ways that courage shows up in our own lives. Today's interview is with Annabelle Chang, Vice President, Bay Area for Alaska Airlines, and a woman who's had a winding career path, including law school, a tech startup, and now at the fifth largest U.S. airline. Annabelle's career has included some tough questions that many of us do and will face in our careers. Like, what do I want to do next? And I want more, but I'm not sure how to get there. Walking away from a prestigious job and the search for something new, while not letting her confidence take a major hit, was just the tip of the courageous iceberg that Annabelle navigated. This episode will also explore why asking questions can build confidence, how Annabelle landed her job via LinkedIn, the importance of elevator pitches, and how to act in those first 100 days of a job. And now, this is The Females. Well, hi, Annabelle, and welcome to the show. Let's start by having you briefly take us through your career path leading up to your current role as Vice President Bay Area for Alaska Airlines. Thanks, Lauren. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, so I've had quite the winding path to get to my current position. So right after college, I worked in politics. So I had the honor of being in the California State Capitol in Sacramento and then working on Capitol Hill. And then after that, I went to law school and I graduated during the height of the recession and ended up moving to Asia for about a year and learned Mandarin Chinese during that time. And then when I came back, I ended up working at a San Francisco law firm. It was a couple of years there and then made it the leap to go to volunteer, actually, so for free at the district attorney's office of San Francisco. I had barely been in a courtroom during my time at the law firm, and that had always been a fantasy of mine. So I went to go live that fantasy, had a spectacular time. I realized I needed to have an income. I needed to make, make some money and went to join Lyft the ride-sharing company back in its very, very early days. It was about 125 people or so uh, when I joined Lyft. From then on, I was approached a few years ago at this point um, on LinkedIn, of all places, to see if I was interested in this really fascinating role for Alaska Airlines. So I compressed all that into a few minutes. Um, and <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, that's my winding path to get into 
the aviation and transportation world. Yeah, I love that as part of your journey, you just happened to learn Chinese and you worked for free for the district attorney. <laughs> so it was certainly not, <laughs> not a traditional path at all. And you mentioned you, you have, you've worked at a lot of great companies from startups to disruptors to obviously more established uh, companies, quote unquote, the, the government, and now working for Alaska Airlines. I'm curious, I mean, those are all amazing career moves. I also love that you got reached out to on LinkedIn. It's something we talk a lot about at Career Contessas. You know, LinkedIn is probably the only place where a job will actually land in your inbox. How have you been able to pivot from job to job and really make that storyline work and be able to have the courage to say, well, I worked in government and law. I've never done tech before, but I can figure it out and not be, you know, nervous about, well, I've never done that before. So how will I know if I can do the job? Uh, there's a little bit of serendipity and timing in all of this. I mean, I think that in each point, there was something either sort of kicking me in the rear or, you know, I was getting maybe a little bit curious about what things look like on the other side of the fence. You know, I will share. So when I left the law firm, my father had passed away and I had to write his obituary. And there was a moment when I thought about, you know, if I reflect on my life, is this all that I want to do. And I realized like, no, this is not all that I want to do. I want so much more. And I just didn't know how to get there. And I was honestly feeling very insecure and didn't think that I could just walk away from a very cushy and comfortable and prestigious law firm job. And that's when I said I literally quit and went to go work for free at the DA's office. The DA's office teaches you self-confidence by fire baptism, really. I mean, <laughs> you are suddenly given the responsibility of a dozen cases that, you know, have someone's freedom on the line. Also, there are victims involved. And, you know, if I had any lack of self-confidence during that initial period, it, you just were so mired in the work and the responsibility that it kind of faded away. And so for me, I think I give a lot of credit to my experience in the DA's office for teaching me the ability to be self-confident and to learn a lot in a short period of time by asking the right questions and knowing that that kind of gravity of those responsibilities were one that I could take on and be comfortable with the result. And so when I made the move to Lyft and the move to Alaska, nothing else ever seemed quite as intimidating because I had previously been juggling someone's freedom in the past and had that responsibility. You know, when I look at jobs, I want to know that I'm stretching myself and in a way that may be terrifying, but that I also know that I already have something to contribute. Right. And I also think that the first hundred days of a job is really important for making a strong impression. Yeah. I think there's a book about that too, right? The first 100 days or, you know, your first 90 days, but you're right. It's, it's, you know, your first 100 days somewhere is kind of where, I think a lot of people also decide like if it's hard and they're going to stick with it or if it's hard and they're, they're going to start to figure out their game plan to get out of it too. Absolutely. And I also draw on that because having worked in politics, the first hundred days of any administration is one that sets the tone for the rest of that period of time in politics. It's really fascinating too, because I feel like a lot of people look at careers where they're like, if you're lucky, it's like, let me pick where I'm going to start. For most of us, like for me, it was like, let me start whoever will hire me. But you kind of start at like more entry level and you try to work your way to that super challenging part. But there's almost sort of this like, ignorance is bliss sort of thing when you're thrown into the deep end like you were with the DA, as you said, like nothing could compare to what you were doing with your work there because 
people's lives were literally on the line. So I also feel like you've kind of reverse engineered this a little bit, which is probably helpful. It's like that that thing is over with now. Absolutely. (laughs) You've mentioned this, at least in other interviews, when I was researching you. You're the daughter of immigrants. You're a female leader in a traditionally male-dominant industry, you know, which is uh, aerospace. And you're a feminist, which I love that you are out there saying, I'm a feminist and here's what it means to me. So how do all those roles play a part in your overall success? And I know you mentioned this quite a little bit already about asking questions, but why do you recommend that asking questions is really the way to get your foot in the door and kind of move up the the quote unquote ladder? Yeah, if I think about all of these hats that I wear as an individual, I think from even being a young child, you were comfortable being uncomfortable or being kind of the only or one of the few. Interestingly enough, having worked in politics and having worked in the law in transportation and tech and aviation. It's sad to say, but they are still very homogenous fields. And I learned being okay with that. I'm always obviously aspiring to more and having bringing up other women or bringing other people of color or people from different socioeconomic backgrounds into this world. It didn't dominate my, my mind all of the time. And I grew comfortable, I think, with my own voice. You know, people talk about learning to find your voice, but I think I'm pretty comfortable with my identity and I had to learn how to establish my voice. You know, for me, asking questions was a much more comfortable way to do it. You know, being in law school, we're actually taught to ask questions all of the time and try to get to the heart of a problem. Um, And I think in going into any new workplace, especially since I've transitioned a lot of different places, I wanted to understand how things work. Like, what is success? How does power flow? How do people interact with each other within the company? How do people represent the company outside? Asking those questions, I think, put me in good stead because people knew that I was genuinely curious, not only about the company and the way that it works or the industry, but that I was also curious about them as an individual. Um, And uh, for me, it's less intimidating to speak up in a meeting by asking a question than, you know, sharing my, my opinion right off the bat. I think it's okay. I think people are much more forgiving when you form an opinion after having asked a lot of questions, right? Um, and saying, oh, okay, well, she, she, like, based on the answers that we came up with, this is her opinion um, or her, her suggestion or her thought um, is a lot more palatable. And that's just one of the techniques I use as a young woman of color, um, you know, in these types of industries. So, and I love that, but I am curious, like, would you do that in your first 100 days? So, you know, when you first moved over to Alaska, you're obviously a VP. So, you know, you've got people who are uh, reporting to you who have maybe probably worked at Alaska a lot longer than you have. So in that first 100 days, do you make it a point to sit in on meetings to just basically be a person who collects information and asks questions? Absolutely. And I'll tell you something funny. So in my first hundred days, I was hit with so many acronyms. I literally had a running list of acronyms to be like, what is this? You know, <laughs> I, I knew all the basic acronyms like SFO and LAX. <laughs> but when it came down to everything about how airplanes fly, our airports, the complexities of it all, our different labor unions, our you know different relationships with government entities, our work with marketing, all of those elements. I I was starting from zero, and my role 
encompasses all of that. And what I think when Alaska was looking for someone to fill this role, they didn't expect a subject matter expert, but they wanted to know that they were hiring someone that was comfortable not being a subject matter expert, but leaning on the right people and then making some of the highest level decisions within the company. You know, I think that's what CEOs do. I haven't had the honor of being a CEO yet, but I, I am certainly learning a lot of the skills to be an executive and serve as an executive. Right. And and a bunch of acronyms along the way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to hear from today's sponsor, Society6. Are you looking to avoid giving boring or run-of-the-mill gifts this holiday season? Well, I have a little secret for you. It's called Society6. Society6 has gifts from over 350,000 independent artists from around the world. The gifts range from unique wall art to super cozy items like throw blankets and coffee mugs. Don't tell anyone, but I'm thinking about gifting myself the floral abstraction throw for the cooler winter nights here in Los Angeles. The best thing about Society6 is that you can find something for everyone on your list. Here's a really cool thing about Society6 also. I think we're all really guilty of falling into that consumerism of the holiday season. By using Society6 as your gift source, you can actually give back twice. So every Society6 purchase pays an artist which in turn empowers creativity around the world. It feels good to know that the gifts you choose were designed and crafted by an independent artist. So check out Society6 and find some of the most creative gifts that will beg the question, where did you find this? You can get 30% off and free shipping when you use my code FEMALES at s6.co slash pod. That's S as in society, 6 dot co slash pod and the promo code is females that's s6.co slash pod promo code females f-e-m-a-i-l-s society six design your everyday with art you love hi we're carlene and jill from breaking beauty podcast and every single wednesday we chat about the skin hair and makeup musts that are actually worth the spend. And you'll hear from the industry's top founders about how they broke into the business with their best-selling beauty product. We also deliver the best in beauty tips from insiders like Kim Kardashian's makeup artist, Makeup by Mario, and hair guru, Jen Atkin. And as beauty editors ourselves, we personally review the damn good products that you need on your top shelf right now. Listen for free every week for your ultimate beauty fix. Ready, Jill? Like Like a a cherry cherry bomb. Like a cherry bomb. All right, now let's get back to the show. I want to ask you about vulnerability. And I think it's fantastic that you said, I haven't been a CEO yet. I love that. But I'm curious, can you tell us about a time when you have felt really vulnerable and maybe, you know, that was either in a career move or something, you know, that happened between you and like a colleague or whatever, where you're like, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm feeling a little vulnerable while I do this. But ultimately, it led you to something bigger and better. And, you know, now that hindsight's 2020, you can see how that was all connected. So I think back on my time when I left the DA's office, I was pretty petrified because I wasn't sure whether I wanted to continue practicing law or if I wanted to do something else. And I had already, you know, spent this multiple year commitment, practicing law, going to law school, spending a lot of money to get that education. But it didn't feed my soul in the way that I wanted in life. And when Lyft came as an opportunity at the time, I would never have guessed it would become a public company a few years later. But at the time, I thought, you know, this is such an interesting company. I see the pink mustaches and the cars. Around. 
but maybe this whole venture sinks in six months and I'm looking for a job again. But, you know, at the same time, what if not now to try something completely different? And when I was interviewing for, for the role, I will share that people were like, what are you interviewing for? And I said, I, I actually don't know. I'm interviewing to join the Lyft team because it was such an early startup at that time. And you know, certainly I was pretty skeptical too. And when I finally got the job offer, they didn't even have a job title yet. Um, <laughs> my boss at the time literally said, huh, what about public policy manager? <laughs> said, yeah, that sounds great. It's like, okay, well, you're the first. So I certainly was pretty scared uh, that this whole thing would go bust at the time. And, you know, I was not going to be practicing law. Um, I was going to be going back into politics for a tiny, tiny startup on a technology that people didn't even understand. And it has led me to such a fantastic opportunity since then. More than that, I mean, I have developed some incredible professional and personal um, relationships from that time there in the trenches. Right. Yeah, it's like you were the the guinea pig, but it worked out. <laughs> so yeah, it uh, did absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's great too. Just because had you not taken that role, maybe they would have filled it. Maybe they wouldn't have. But you know, you also start to create the path for people who are going to have maybe similar backgrounds as yours or want to work in policy. And you know, all of that is you know those jobs didn't exactly exist the way they do now. And so it's it's great you're able to say like, well, here's how I got to this role as a policy person. Because I do think that's one of those career paths where a lot of people are like, I think I want to do it, but I don't actually 100% know what that means or what it looks like. So you also like I said, are, are doing a, a, serv- a service for all of us by paving that path. So I want to talk about mindset because I also read that you've been journaling since you were in second grade. I've been reading a lot of like books and research papers and this and that about successful entrepreneurs. And a lot of them talk about mindset and about, you know, be- making sure like if your mind's not strong, then kind of doesn't matter how hard you work. And I thought it was really fascinating that you've been journaling since second grade. You're clearly ahead of the curve. L- what are your thoughts on, on how mindset plays a role into your success and, and and specifically maybe journaling. It is true. I have been journaling since second grade and I have my Hello Kitty diary to prove oh it. And, you know, at the time I was recording my my daily, you know, what I was doing, the stickers I was collecting, you know, the, the things that I ate at lunch. <laughs> and over time, it also became a place for me to reflect and write. And I will tell you that I had a lot of angst as a middle schooler, lots of tears on paper. It's funny for me because it's become so intertwined with my life that it's hard to imagine adulthood or even my childhood without it. But my family often says to me that uh, journaling is my superpower. I would say the reason is it, it gives me sort of three or four places really stand out. So one is obviously the ability to reflect and process what is happening at the time in my life. And then the second is that it's cathartic. You know, I can write all the things that I'm experiencing, whether tragic or anger or disappointment. And I said, you know, in second grade, my I was an angry second grader when I had to go to piano classes. You know, I had <laughs> multiple pages of anger about that kind of thing. And third, and this is more of in adulthood, I've created a regular gratitude list. So five or six things that I was grateful for that day or that week or that month, depending on, you know, if I'm able to find the time to journal. And then the last one is memory. Honestly, I don't remember all the details of, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but I have these journals 
uh, where I've written it all down. It gives you such a sense of perspective, you know, even truly awful times. And I say like, you know, the tragedy of my father got pancreatic cancer and, you know, passed away under very quick circumstances. And it was really devastating for our family to know that I could come out the other end and be better for it. Even those types of things, I think, really give a sense of, okay, I can be an optimistic person. I I know that we'll get through this. And so all of those journal entries are my most cherished. My family says we'll have to put it under like locking here in a safe (laughs) (laughs) because they're so personal and maybe like, you know, scan them for the cloud or something like that as, as something to save. But I know, for example, when I'm 80 one day and I will pull out my journal from this year when I'm 38, I will find things that will give me some chuckles and some joy and some just moment to reflect on where I've come and how far I've come. Yeah, it's a great habit. And it's, well, for you, it's wonderful that you've had it going for so long and the consistency of that as well. I think that's great. And I I love that you've kept them all. I can only imagine the, as you said, the middle school and the high school, but I'm sure it's always fun to look back on. What advice would you give to women who want to be leaders in their companies and their fields? What should they be thinking about today? Yeah, I I think this is where journaling was really powerful for me was that I had, you know, created a visualization of my future and I had put in, you know, we talk about the power of intention. And I, I really believe in that because in my journal, especially as a younger adult or someone going through a lot of transition, I would write like, what do I want to be? Who do I want to be? What do I want to have accomplished? And what's so bizarre is that those things have started to come true. And so to me that, you know, once you put that idea in your head, it is so much easier to make it happen. The second thing that I would say is, and this I learned, you know, I would say in the last 10 years is to learn to speak about my work. You know, the example I gave is if you're sitting next to someone on the plane, you don't know if they're going to be a job recruiter. You don't know if they are a executive of a company or that they might know someone who's an executive of a company. How would you talk about your job? A good example of that for me is when I first started in this role as a vice president, I actually was pretty nervous about speaking about the scope of my role because it seemed so big and I seemed so young for this particular position, you know, inexperienced and compared to my colleagues who spent, you know, decades in the airline industry. So I had to write down what I would say and I had to practice it. Now I say I am the vice president of the Bay Area for Alaska Airlines. I'm our only senior corporate officer in the state of California and I oversee six airports, our regional headquarters, our flight simulation center. All of that is a part of my responsibility. But that took me a long time to get there because it just it didn't feel comfortable saying that at first. And so I would say young women, young men, people of color, like not talking about what they do in a confident way and not taking credit for the work that they actually did. And that's really important because if no one knows about it, they can't promote you. They can't give you the employee of the month award. Recruiters won't know about you. So it is really, really important to learn to speak about yourself, especially if it's at like a work cocktail party. And, you know, the top executive happens to be standing next to you at the punch bowl. You have to talk about the things that you've just achieved. You know, maybe it's the last year, uh, but you have to be comfortable about it. Right. So really hone that elevator pitch. One, have an elevator pitch that you've practiced and said a few times before you get to the punch bowl. But also it sounds like really hone that. So you, you're you not talking about like, I just generally do X, Y, Z, but being able to pinpoint your accomplishments. 
100%. Because I think now as a busy executive, I remember when people speak with confidence and they, you know, they share those specifics. And those are the people, if they call me or, you know, someone calls me and says, Hey, Annabelle, I know of an opening. I'm like, Oh, you know what? I just talked to a person who just said that they happen to be looking and they happen to have those types of experiences under their belt. And I mean, that's literally how an executive's mind works. Right. I also, what I like about your example too, is that in that example, it's like the person knows who they are, right? You talked about confidence, like they know what their skills are and they're confident in their ability to, you know, basically get shit done. They're not afraid of putting that out there. And it's fascinating because sometimes people I think struggle to share that because they think it comes off like they're bragging. And this seems to be like more of an art than a science when it comes to being able to talk about yourself, but not you know, come off like, I'm the best thing in the entire world. There's a really great book that I flip through, I would say once a year or once every two years. And it is in fact called Brag, How to Toot Your Horn. And it's really funny because it is just talking about, so let's say you you closed a huge project. How do you talk about it to people? How do people know that uh, Annabelle happened to be the project manager or Annabelle happened to steal the sale that um, is now worth $20 million. Uh, you know, some, things like that. It, it was just, it takes practice. You don't have to actually be confident. You just have to sound confident. <laughs> right. <laughs> you just have to know what you're going to say and then make sure you, you rehearse it so it comes out. So if you get nervous, it still comes out. Uh, that's really yeah. that's really good advice. We'll put the book brag. We'll put that in the show notes too because it sounds like that would be a really. I mean, this is a question we just get asked a lot at Career Contessa, and you know, it, it is like I said, it's more it's more of an art than a science. But part of it is practice, and like you said, like I just got used to saying it, and then I would say it over and over again. So that's all really fantastic advice, and also very like tangible advice. Like anybody can, whether you're in your first job or in your twentieth job, you can make sure that you have a really good elevator pitch that's up to date with specifics. Absolutely. Well, so our last question before we move into rapid fire is what's the last courageous act that you've made and what was the result or impact of that? I was reflecting on this when I graduated law school and it was in 2009 and it really was the height of the recession and a lot of options weren't around. And my law firm had been so generous to give us what they call a deferral, which means that you could start your law firm job in a year or in a year and a half from then, meaning they're giving you a guaranteed offer. And at the time, I was super terrified, but I also didn't really know what to do. And my act of courage, and honestly, a tribute to my family, is I, I decided to move to Asia. You know, I had never lived in Asia, even though my parents immigrated from Taiwan. I didn't speak Mandarin Chinese. And I just thought to myself, like, you know, if I look back on my life, this is one of those life experiences that I want. And I also want to speak Mandarin Chinese. I have no idea how to do that as a late 20 something. I don't know if I'll be able to do it, but I'm just going to do it. And so I, I moved to Taiwan. I'll just kind of <laughs> clarify, I don't have any relatives there. So I just kind of showed up and I signed up for Chinese classes. I actually went to my law school and I asked him to see if I could find an internship at a law firm at the time. So I amazingly was able to secure a law firm internship, but that was courage for me because I showed up not being able to speak, not being able to read Chinese or write Chinese. And I was so humbled because I basically became like a, not even a kindergartner. I was just a true foreigner. 
and having to learn how to give directions. I had to memorize how to give directions to my apartment, for example. I had to learn how to negotiate like getting an apartment. You know, my funny memory is that I started <laughs> yoga for the first time in my entire life in Taiwan and the classes were in Mandarin Chinese. And so I literally didn't, you know, I just had to watch people because I didn't know what they were saying. But I learned how to <laughs> like the word for shoulder and chin and knee and you know, things like that because I was just watching people. I look back on that as my, wow, I can't believe I did that. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah, that's incredible. And if it makes you feel any better, I go to yoga classes. They're speaking English, and I'm still looking around at people. So I can only imagine <laughs> like, if it was really in the. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Well, that's super incredible, and definitely, I would say it falls under the category of courageous. All right, so we'll move into some rapid fire. Which the theme? I'm sorry, I I went strong on the theme of travel because of Alaska Airlines. So <laughs> the first one is best travel destination so far, or what's next on your list. Yeah. So I confess I've been to this place now four or five times, and that is Angkor Wat in Cambodia. It is a kingdom in the jungle. And I was a fan of Indiana Jones as a kid. And when I go, I feel like I'm Indiana Jones. It is a breathtaking place. And where I'd like to go kind of on the theme of Indiana Jones is I would love to go to Bhutan, which is the happiest place on earth, apparently, and, you know, get a sense of this culture and this place and see the Himalayas. Wow, that's incredible. Well, I hope you get to go there because it sounds incredible. And also who wouldn't want to go to an actual happiest place on earth? So when you're traveling window or aisle seat? So I always take the window seat on short flights. So flights down from San Francisco down to LA or San Francisco to Seattle, because I like to look out the window. But I do need an aisle seat for anything longer than that. Access to the restroom. Yep, I'm I'm the same. (laughs) I get it. Best traveling for work tip. Yes. So when I was at Lyft, I did a lot of work travel as well. I was almost on the road and in the air at least once a week. And of course, at Alaska, I'm also in the air a lot. So my work tip is absolutely develop a loyalty plan with either an airline. I can suggest one might be Alaska (laughs) or a hotel because you can use those rewards uh, for your personal travels. Right, right. You know, when you talk to people and they're like, oh, I'm going to Australia, it's all paid for by points. This is what they're talking about. (laughs) So you got to get on that. 100%. Looking back, you tell your younger self. And I can figure that out pretty quickly because I have all those journals. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 100% for me too is that traveling is the most powerful tool. Go and explore places that you've never thought possible. Wander, do those crazy experiences, go hang gliding, go ride a camel. Um, those are the memories that you are going to look back and cherish. Right. And especially when we go grow older and, you know, where you might not be able to physically do it, where you have kids in tow, those are the moments that this is the time to do it. Do it now. Right. I think it's really serendipitous that you ended up working for Alaska Airlines because when you think about it, your most courageous act was related to travel. Like some of your best memories are related to travel. So you probably wrote this in a journal, but I think you were meant to work for like an airline. Now that you've just said that, it's like it really does come full circle in a way. It does. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you, Annabelle, so much for joining us today for just sharing your story. It's really very courageous. I'll definitely link to the book Brag in the show notes. And if somebody wants to connect with you or just learn more about your career path, what's the best place for them to do that? 100% is LinkedIn. I am a huge fan, as you can imagine. And I always, always encourage people to have a fully developed 
LinkedIn. Okay, we didn't even have to pay you to say that, but everybody at Career Contessa can help you if you don't know how to create a fully optimized LinkedIn, but I completely, completely agree. So, well, thank you, Annabelle, so much again. Thank you, Lauren. I'm pretty sure we all go through this period, especially in the fall, when all we want to do is stay at home at night and cook a healthy meal. We envision ourselves putting in the time to cut up the veggies, do the meal prep, and at the end, we've got this nutritious home-cooked meal, right? But the fantasy always seems great until I actually have to get home. It's like my biggest adult challenge is that I have to figure out what I want to eat for every meal every day. That's where Saqqara comes into play. By providing me with an easy, delicious, and seriously healthy solutions delivered right to my door, they take all the thinking out of meal planning, and I'm totally on board for services that give me back time in my life. I also love that Saqqara promotes a lifestyle, so that means that their meals integrate with your life from day one. There's no giving up your morning coffee or throwing out your whole pantry to make room for Saqqara. Saqqara makes organic, ready-to-eat meals with nutritious and plant-based ingredients that are designed to help you tap into your best self. Aside from being delicious, all Saqqara meals are designed to promote healthy digestion and increased energy. Every week, they switch it up with the innovative, organic chef-crafted dishes, so you'll never get bored of trying new, healthy meals. On top of the meals, Saqqara also offers healthy supplements and teas for delivery, too. Their metabolism supplement is sure to boost your energy. That's why I'm so excited to be offering you guys $60 off your first order when you go to sakara.com slash females. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash females to get $60 off your first order. Treat yourself. You will not regret it. I promise. One more time. That's sakara.com slash females. All right. We're back with our favorite part of the show, Tough Questions, with our head of content, Kayleen. Hi, Kayleen. Hello. All right. We also, as you guys know, if you've been listening, we always start this section also with a little behind the scenes on what's happening here in the career contessa world. So, Kayleen, I'll start with you. <laughs> I do really laugh. Yeah. Every time. Every time. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's nervous, maybe. So, my um, behind the scenes this week is... I guess a semi-secret, but I got to do a first-time thing, which was going a little <laughs> bit of a influencer-ish retreat. On she behalf- got a major perk of the job. <laughs> on behalf of Career Contessa, because uh, I don't think anyone would be paying me to do anything for my like, <laughs> 300 followers, of which most is my family. <laughs> yeah, so I got to do this thing last week, which was uh, way outside, I'd say, my comfort zone. Way outside my zone of, like, Things I feel maybe that I would qualify to be invited to. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, I understand because I feel like whenever anyone invites us or me or you, whatever, to something, I feel like that's always our response, which we probably need to like <laughs> check that. <laughs> yeah, you're like, of course, of course. Yes. It was really interesting. I, I can't really talk too much about it yet. But basically, you got to do this very cool job perk. Yes. yes. Yeah. I think the coolest job perk I got at Kurt Contessa once is I got to go speak at a conference in Switzerland. Yeah, that was cool. Honestly, I'm still surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> My sister we used to work for a big company, and she was based in the Middle East. And when her job perk was, it was like if the flight was over, I think, 10 hours, they had to fly like business class or something. Mm. So she used to fly business class from LA to the Middle East. I was like, wait, wait, you get to lie down and sleep? She's like, yeah, you fall asleep and you wake up there. I was like, that's a dream. (laughs) I've never had that. It sounds so cool. That is is a perk. Oh, when I was in New York last week, I had lunch with someone who works at LinkedIn and they have a 
cafeteria and it was just like food everywhere. And I know that's like more common today than Mm -hmm. it's been before, but I was still like, holy crap, that is so cool that you just like don't have to think about what to bring for lunch every day, you know? I did work at a company that was all men. Whenever we do like a retreat, we would usually get an Airbnb. So I always ended up getting as the only woman. Yeah. They would be like sleeping. They're like these big guys in bunk beds and I would be like in this king bed. (laughs) Yeah. So that was a nice perk. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So behind the scenes in my world is so while I was in New York, which I swear I've never talked about New York this much in my life, but a lot was happening there that week. I got to visit my publisher, uh, which is Harper Business. And I felt like a like the equivalent of a kid first time going to Disneyland or something. So I've never been to a publishing house. So I went there and it's just like you walk in, there's like books everywhere. It's really beautiful. It feels very like, I guess also living in LA, like publishing, it's kind of like an old school business. <laughs> and in New York, it just felt, it just, I don't know, it just felt like I was in like another era of time. Like It was like a very New York yeah, business. Exactly. And, you know, everybody's working on this book is coming out. Oh, we have this person coming in. Also, it was great because literally as you walk around, any book you want, they're like, take it, take it. And I was like, okay, well, I actually, I can't because I, I don't have any room in my suitcase. And they're like, just send us a list and we'll send you. So, but it's definitely feeling more real. So I still haven't like held my book, but like now I'm meeting people in person. I'm going there and uh, I trust that it's actually going to happen. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. It's when you get that box. I, I can't like wait. That's the thing of, on Instagram, especially if you like follow authors when they get that unboxing video. I, I just can't imagine how that feels to be like, oh my God, I'm holding it. I know. Hand. I can't wait. I have to get to mid-January and then I think that's when I actually get to hold like the first version of it. <laughs> feels like a lifetime. So let's move in to tough questions. Kayleen, do you want to start? Okay. I have mine starts with a little bit of a story. Actually, when I was in New York, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my friend and I went to a Mexican restaurant and we sat down after these like younger, I'd say college students, probably like NYU students. And they came back to the table in this, like, hurry. And they were like, have you guys seen a jewel? We left a jewel. So my friend and I, I mean, we're, like, in our mid-30s now. And we're looking for, like, jewelry, like a jewel, like a, <laughs> like a big jewel. Like <laughs> like a ruby. Like, why, would these, why would these kids have a big jewel? Like, there would be no reason. But that's what I'm looking for. And we didn't find a, a jewel mm-hmm. or a jewel, which is what they were talking about. Yeah. The J-U-U-L. Yeah. Those are like e-cigarettes? No. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. They're e-cigarettes or vapes. But Oh, my God. We sound so old. (laughs) Like, what are those? That's what they were looking for. And it took us like, I think it was another 10 minutes. My friend was like, they were looking for their vape. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God. We just, <laughs> thank God we didn't we didn't say anything. Like, what kind of jewel? Like, a ruby? Like, <laughs> like, what size? So, anyway, my question is, what, like, trend or thing that comes up has made you feel, like, super old? recently well this recently (laughs) as I was just like what are those oh god that's a good question so my husband's cousin just graduated from college and she has her first job and I think just that sometimes makes me feel old because like I remember when she was 13 and I was in college. So sometimes just like the reminder that you've been out of college for a decade. I also think sometimes the thing that makes me feel old is realizing that people who are just graduating, like they know so much more. Like when I came out of school, I didn't know how to use Outlook. I barely, like Google Docs was still really new. Like nobody had Instagram. So I also feel like sometimes like when I talk back about like, 
oh, that was back in the days before you had Instagram. Like, that makes me feel really old. Sometimes, like, when I'm traveling for work, like, saying no more red eyes, I'm like, that makes me feel old. Because it's like, I just, sorry, I just can't do them (laughs) because I can't, like, I I run out of steam. Yeah, I can't bounce back. (laughs) Okay, so my tough question for you is, so a quote that I love, one of my really good friends who I've known forever, we say this all the time, is everything happens for a reason. So when is the last time everything happened for a reason was true for you? Because I feel like that quote really requires, like, you know, the whole story. Like, yeah. otherwise you're like, well, that's great, but what's the reason? So you have to know the reason. <laughs> I feel like I do have my mom. My mom loves that. She <laughs> loves it. She invokes it constantly. But a time that she probably invoked that was I was in a relationship, an engagement, actually. Oh, wow. Um, and we broke up um, very out of the blue. He just didn't come home one day and said, oh, we're done. And it just it sent like a ripple through my entire life. Like, yeah. As I, it would. Yeah. Yeah. So I left our apartment. Obviously, I left our relationship. I left San Francisco. But my job ended up going remote at the same time. So I was able to leave San Francisco without leaving my job. Because I don't think I would have. Yeah. It was just like an insane ripple. Um, yeah. And at the time, I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to survive this. But it ended up, I mean, now I'm three and a half years later, I'm married. Yeah. <laughs> to a much nicer person. <laughs> yeah. I have a job that I love and I'm about to have a baby. So yeah. I'm like, it felt like my last like big learning lesson. Yeah. It was just going to explode in my face. And I know. Everything happens for it's like it's really it's like ter- it's such a terrible quote when the reason hasn't happened yet. But then when the reason <laughs> happens, you're like, okay, now I can look back and say everything happens for a reason. I definitely would be like, mom, yeah, <laughs> like shut up. Yeah, you're like, please stop saying that. So I went to I grew up in Fort Lauderdale for high school, and you had to like test to get into these high schools. And in my middle school, there were two of us that didn't get into high school, which, by the way, those are back in the days when they would, like, have you go around and, like, say, which high school did you get into? Like, in front of everybody. And, like, me and one other girl (laughs) both were, like, we didn't get in. Like, we were the only people. I know. I went to, like, a really small middle school. My mom definitely went over there and had to talk with them about that. (laughs) Because, you know, in, like, eighth grade, that's, like, humiliating. I tested for this high school, and I didn't get in. Standardized tests are not my friend. And I ended up going to a different high school because I was like, oh, I would be better off in life if I go to this other one. And I don't know what I was thinking. You know, you're in eighth grade. Um, (laughs) So I didn't get in, but I ended up getting into this other one. And it was, like, the best place for me. It was, like, so much better, such a much better fit, you know, in the top 10, not the top three, but the culture was a really good fit for me. And I was thinking about that, like everything happens for a reason kind of vibe because Mm -hmm. I was like last time, and I know that's like a bad example for middle school, but it's like, it's such a good thing that I ended up going to the school that I went to because it was a much better fit. And sometimes that's more important than being like, oh, I got, you know, the naming of whatever school you go to. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review, especially if you're liking this tough question section of the podcast. Kayleen and I would love to know because we will either bring it back next season or not. We'll be back next Tuesday with Bola, the founder of Clever Girl Finance, to learn how she saved over $100,000 in just three and a half years. But until then, you can follow us on at the females podcast on Instagram, share this episode with your work wives and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. I was reworking my plan. I was head deep in my spreadsheets (laughs) all the time, but I was learning as I went along and I was reading a ton of books, uh, following a ton of blogs of people who had saved much more money than, you know, I was trying to save people who had paid off tons of debt 
And so um, it really motivated me. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious, like, what did you do when you hit your milestone? Like when you saw 100,000 in the account, did you <laughs> did you celebrate? Did you buy something? What happened? Still saved continuously, but I remember I, I looked at my account and I think it was like almost at the four year mark and I had something like $128,000. And then I was like, oh my God, I've actually crossed the six figure mark. 